Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Mer Imran. He's a healthcare innovator and entrepreneur who's been developing, commercializing, breakthrough medical innovations for more than 40 years. Mer holds more than 400 issued patents and is perhaps the most well-known for his pioneering contributions to the first FDA-approved automatic implantable cardioverter defibrillator. He's the founder and CEO of Rani Therapeutic, and he's focused on developing breakthrough technologies that has the potential to disrupt the pharmacy industry by converting injectable medication into pills. For his work and achievements, Mer has been named one of the most inspiring people in life sciences by Pharma Voice and is one of the top 50 medical device inventors of all time by QMed. Mer also has been recognized as a fellow for both the National Academy of Inventors and the National Academy of Engineering. Mer holds a master's in bioengineering and a bachelor's in electrical engineering from Rutgers University. He also attended the College of Medical and Dental School in New Jersey. Mer, how are you going? I'm doing great, uh, Peter. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me to join you this afternoon. It's the morning for me, and I'm curious as to where you're joining this conversation from. I'm in California. Lovely. Some really interesting conversations to be had around Rani Therapeutics. Let's get it started. Set the scene for me, please. Rani Therapeutics. What is it? Who's it for? And and what problem does it solve? So it's actually quite a simple problem. And it's a problem that has been attempted by so many people over the last 50 years. And the problem is basically converting injectable drugs like insulin into pills. And uh, people have been trying to do that for 50 years because obviously patients prefer pills, the compliance is better. So all the prior attempts have been chemistry-based approaches essentially to protect the biologic drug in the intestines and prevent it from getting digested, which is which intestinal fluids are really good at uh, digesting Mm. proteins, breaking them down. Mm. So to prevent that, they have used chemicals to protect the drug from getting damaged and hopefully some of it gets absorbed. So the best outcomes there have been less than 1% by absorption of the drug. 99% of the drug gets destroyed. Mm. So uh, as a result, it hasn't, and it's highly variable, sometimes 0%, sometimes it's half a percent. So uh, most drugs are not suitable for this kind of delivery. And also uh, cost of goods goes up, you know, because the vast majority of drug is being destroyed. So when I started thinking about this, I I asked a very simple question. Because of my engineering technical background, I said, why can't we create a pill that when ingested goes past the stomach safely and goes into the intestine and there it transforms itself into an injection and delivers a pain-free injection into the intestinal wall. Now, because of my medical training, I knew that intestines don't have the kind of pain sensors your skin does. So any injection in the intestine is completely pain-free, but no one had ever attempted to deliver injections in the intestine. Mm. Why would anybody do that? It's such a... (laughs) That would be uncomfortable. (laughs) Easily accessible uh, place. You you cannot access it easily. But we could create a, a robotic pill that transforms itself into an injection and delivers an injection. It would be a completely pain-free injection and the absorption would be similar to a subcutaneous injection. So that was the hypothesis. And uh, it took several years to turn that into reality. 
Did you call it a robotic injection? Well, Wall Street Journal, when they first reported on this, called it the robotic pill. Yeah. And that kind of name has stuck. We call it the Rani pill based on the company's yes. name, but we also refer to it as a robotic pill. And it's really a self-autonomous injecting device. You know, it goes through the intestine and we're not controlling it from outside. It, it is behaving in a certain manner based on its design. You're going to get a bunch of like layperson questions from me right now. So bear with me. <laughs> but so in terms okay, of being, sure. like, what's it actually made of? Like, cause I'm very familiar with it. You know, you take a typical pill and ingest it and you just don't, as a human, you consume it. You don't deal with it again. If you're dealing with a robotic pill sounds like something next level. What is it made of? It's, uh, it's really made out of, out of polymers. Most of the polymers are dissolvable or absorbable. So there are no metal components in it. It's a robot with uh, all made out of soft materials. Maybe I'd take you through some of the key subsystems of this thing. So yeah. it'll give your listeners uh, clarity on what we're talking about. Mm. So when you talk about injecting a drug into the intestinal wall, you obviously need a needle, right? right? So, so we have a sugar needle. We started off with sugar, but we can also use other polymers. So the needle itself is made out of sugar, but it's a hollow needle. And the reason it's hollow is that inside that sugar needle, we can put the drug in solid format, dry drug. So it's highly concentrated drug inside the needle. And we deliver the entire needle, including the drug into the intestinal wall and the needle and the drug both get absorbed. So there yeah. are no metal needles here. Like what does it actually look like when you when you take it as a patient? Does it look like a normal pill? It looks like a fish oil capsule or calcium pill oh. or a vitamin pill. Looking at it, you wouldn't be able to think that there was a, anything other than a drug in there. So it's got the it's got the sugar needle inside it. It's got a case around it and then that dissolves and then that then exposes the sugar needle, which so the, the so the question becomes: How do you push the sugar needle into the intestinal wall? Right. Yeah, right. And how do you know you're in the intestine yeah. and not somewhere else in the in the? You could be in the stomach. Mm. So we we had to create a special coating on the surface of the capsule that is pH sensitive, so it does not dissolve in the stomach and only dissolves in the intestine where the pH is higher. Huh? So that's one piece of the puzzle. Mm. The second piece of the puzzle is how do you push it into the intestinal wall? Mm -hmm. So the way we do that is we have a tiny balloon made out of a very thin plastic film. And once it's in the intestine and the outer shell dissolves, it's, a, it's a, still a collapsed balloon. But inside the balloon, there are two chemicals that are separated by another dissolvable pinching device, pinch valve and exposure to intestinal fluids dissolves that. And the two chemicals mix and inflate the balloon. So it's a self-inflating balloon. Wow. The pressure that is created in the balloon is sufficient to push the needle in the intestinal wall. Does a patient feel any uncomfort of a balloon slowly expanding inside of them or is it? Well, the balloon doesn't expand that, it's not that large. Yeah. It doesn't stretch the intestine. Yeah. I, I have taken 25 of those capsules. Uh, don't You don't feel a thing. There's not even any sensation that a needle is being delivered into your intestinal wall. It's just completely benign. And is there any parts that then pass through the patient? That... When it, de it delivers the needle, it immediately deflates. And it's like a bell pepper skin or tomato skin. Once it's uh, deflated, <laughs> it passes out easily. Yeah, right. 
Fascinating. You mentioned that the drug, like the form of the drug inside that sugar needle, it's like a hardened or a crystallized format as opposed to compared to say your typical injectable liquid drug. Is there limits in terms of the drugs that that can be um, used within the Rani pill? All drugs in their pure form are solids. Mm. Okay. We, we made them into a liquid by dissolving them in physiologic solution or saline or something like that so to make it injectable in yeah. through a metal needle. Now here we are delivering the needle and the drug at once because we didn't want to have any metal needles and liquid drug. And we couldn't obviously deliver liquid drug through a dissolvable needle. It'll be dissolving while you're delivering the drugs. Yes. So the dissolvable needle required a solid drug. So it's it's really, any drug can be put inside the needle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The only limitation, of course, is how much drug can you put in. We can deliver probably 50-60% of the currently available biologic drugs. The only ones that we don't, at least for now, we, we're not attempting to deliver are those that require infusion in very large quantities and those are generally cancer drugs Mm, mm, mm. but uh, you know our next generation pills will have a higher payload capacity wow fascinating and so what kind of research and studies have been performed to to get you to this point And, and what did those studies show first of all we spent several years perfecting this technology in uh, testing them in animal models. Right. Usually the uh, do- dog is the best model because you can make them swallow the pill whole without chewing it. Mm. You know, if you try and give it to pigs, they'll uh, not only chew the pill, but bite your fingers off. I've been struggling um, two weeks to give my cat pill, so I wouldn't recommend giving it to a cat. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we have tested probably, um, delivered more than 2,000 pills in, in animal models and four or five hundred of them have of those have been swallowed by beagle dogs the smallest 10 kilogram beagles Hmm. it's very safe for even a small dog and that was a great model from a safety standpoint if we can make it safe for a 10 kilogram beagle it would obviously be safe for a larger animal or human Hmm. even the smallest size human yeah and and then in 2018 we did a first human test in the U.S. on about 20 subjects. There we wanted to answer the question whether you have to take this pill on a fasted or fed condition. We had 10 subjects who had eaten breakfast and then taken the pill and 10 who took it in a fasted state. And we demonstrated that there was absolutely no impact on the function and performance of the capsule. Last year, we came to Australia uh, in Melbourne, and we did a uh, phase one study with the Rani pill with a biologic drug. And and the goal of that study was to demonstrate safety and tolerability and delivering a a biologic in healthy volunteers, and the study was hugely successful. None of the subjects sensed anything, had any complaints. Drug was delivered very nicely, and and we were able to take blood samples and demonstrate it was delivered. So it was a uh, really a validation of seven years of effort to perfect that technology. I'm interested as well then from a, I guess, a commercial or a scalability point of view, the cost to make one of these quite intricate pills compared to, say, the cost of delivering drugs by injection. Is there any kind of comparisons that you've done? Is this is this a scalable thing or is this like quite a boutique delivery method of drugs that would only be suitable for those that can't tolerate needles, for example? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. And 
while we have been developing the technology, we've also been looking at how do you manufacture it. And we have had to develop equipment uh, that is specifically designed to, for example, make dissolvable in needles in a sterile environment. So the cost of goods, not counting the cost of the drug, because each drug has a different cost to it. Yep. Some drugs are more expensive than others. So if you take the cost of the drug aside, mm. the cost of the technology of the, of the capsule is de minimis. It's uh, the, a piece of plastic with two very cheap chemicals that make the self-inflating balloon mm. a sugar needle, which has, uh, again, the cost of material is nothing. Yeah. Pennies the entire capsule shell and the coating. So we could easily uh, make this thing competitive with a needle and syringe or pen injectors hmm. for that matter. So it's not going to add to the cost of healthcare or the cost of these drugs. Wow, that's really interesting to think about the potential of that. We have been investing heavily in full automation for scalability. You know, so we, you know, we can make a few hundred a day. To in a, in a year and a half, we'll be making several thousand a day to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And it's all a matter of investing in large-scale automation. And then does the customer become the pharmaceutical company? Is that is that how that business model works? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So we have two business models within Rani. One is uh, there are a number of off-patent drugs. Where the patents have expired. Yeah. And they are readily available from third-party manufacturers. So we can buy the drug substance and we can deliver, create our own oral format, oral basal insulin yeah. or human growth hormone. So various drugs in oral form hmm. with our platform. Hmm. So that's one part of our strategy. The other is to work with pharma, large pharma companies who have drugs hmm. and they want, if they want to put those drugs on our platform. So we have collaborations, for instance, with Novartis and Takeda. Takeda is a Japanese uh, large pharma company. Mm. Novartis is a European company. And we are testing their molecules in our platform uh, on animals so that once we have data, then we'll get into a discussion about taking that into humans. So we're doing both, you know, working with pharma partners to take their drugs into our platform and our own drugs that are off patent. Interesting. That's going to be exciting to see how those two different models play out. Hey, thinking more broadly, Mur, the um, you know you, you've been in the the game for a while in terms of medical devices and life sciences. Outside of Rani Pill for a moment, what would you say have been some of the most exciting or the most exciting development in, say, medtech or innovation generally in your time? And and also, what do you think would be the the next biggest thing that's that's coming? Wow, that's a big question. So there are so many innovations happening all around us, and the pace of innovation has increased and will continue to increase. You know, so many people are working on so many different things. So where you see uh, big innovations in the device technology side are going to come in big data and how big data intersects with genetics and genomics. And that is going to lead to a number of innovations in the form of new biologic drugs and cell-based therapies. And now, most recently, gene editing using a technology called CRISPR. Uh, so all these things are going to really take a medicine into an unbelievable place where we will be, be able to cure diseases that up until now have been considered chronic, uncurable diseases. Mm. So I think that we're 
headed towards some really exciting times in the next 5, 10, 20 years. Mm. There is a blurring of this intersection between, you know, what we would consider technology and drugs. They used to be completely separate. Mm. And the only place they came together was when the drug was put inside a syringe to inject a drug with a needle. But now the Rani pill, for example, a great example where the drug and the device are so merged together, mm. they're inseparable. The intersection of big data and genomics is another example. Yes. And cell-based therapies. But in order to deliver cell-based therapies, it relies on device technologies. Mm. And, you know, microsensors and wireless technologies, how they can be embedded in various forms into our daily life. Mm. And that's happening, you know, wearable devices have created uh, an amazing space. And, you know, this COVID-19 has really also accelerated the adoption of telemedicine, because you couldn't possibly walk into a physician's office if you had a sore throat or whatnot, at least in the US, and I'm sure it's true of Australia and other places. uh, There have been like 5,000% 5,000% increase in yeah. telemedicine and online uh, patient visits. And in fact, in the U.S., insurance companies are reimbursing the physicians for that uh, as if it was a in-person visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think one of the side effects of COVID has been a dramatic adoption of telemedicine. And just back to that point around the I guess the convergence of digital health or health technology with with med tech, but also bio and and pharma, like all of these things, where, where technology just becomes pervasive across healthcare more broadly. It's interesting to see then the um, innovation that comes when those different parts of the ecosystem come together. Me personally, I'm not overly active within life sciences on a day-to-day but watch with a particular interest for those reasons that I pointed out before. From your perspective then, if someone was more interested in pursuing a career in life sciences or just generally working within that space and looking at their future within that that sphere, what would be some advice or recommendations you'd make to someone based on, say, the lessons you've learned within the the life sciences sector? One of the foundational things in uh healthcare is that it's a multidisciplinary uh, space. You cannot be an expert in a single discipline and make significant contribution because here you have to uh, really deeply understand uh, anatomy, physiology, Mm. in some cases chemistry, mechanical engineering, material science, Mm. electronics, software, Mm. sensors, and God knows what else, everything comes into it. Mm. And so... If you really want to be successful, start embracing everything. And the more disciplines you get under your belt, the bigger the problems you'll be able to address because the most complex problems really require the application of multiple disciplines to its solution and to its understanding. And it's not the same as putting 10 people with 10 different disciplines on a problem Mm. and each each person having a specialty. The problem with that is they don't speak each other's language. Yes. So you, we really have one of the reasons why I've had some modest success is because of my multidisciplinary training and, and uh, interests. And that has really allowed me to understand these complex problems and then define solutions. So I, I really think that some of the, the best work 
people are doing are is being done at the intersection of multiple disciplines where they have incorporated all those disciplines into their own thinking. Mm. Like with any problem in life, generally getting out of you know that, your own bubble and then getting input from other areas, but doing that in a in a cohesive way usually then reaps the best results. But particularly applicable to to healthcare uh, moving forward. Hey, lastly, Mir, back to Rani Pill. What's coming up for you? Got lots of innovation, lots of exciting, you know, opportunities that, that just based on how you've you, you've talked about it. But but how would you describe what's coming up, where it's all heading, and what's on the horizon for Rani Pill? Well, you know, after completing the study in Australia last year, we really are now getting ready to for the next phase of this company, which is really to get uh, um, regulatory approvals for various drugs for the platform for the drug. And you have to understand that every drug that we put into our pill requires a separate clinical trial for mm. its approval. Mm. So it's every time you combine a different drug. So next year, we will be embarking on this journey, starting with one, one drug after another, after another, putting them on Rani pill, going and doing clinical trials to get them to approval. So we'll, we'll have this pipeline going and then in that pipeline, we will also put in our partners' drugs. You know, they'll they'll be driving the clinical development, but we'll also work hand in glove with them. So it's really the next phase is demonstrated safety. We need to do more, but our next phase of development is really uh, to convert many of the drugs into oral in the coming years. So that's the next phase of our journey. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Just the nature of clinical trials across multiple pharmaceuticals, life sciences in general, you know, me coming from a, a more technology or health tech background where even though things move quite slowly in terms of investment timelines or, or scalability, you know, I, I'm much more, a little bit more familiar with hockey stick growth compared to say what you've described. Then I guess there, there is a hockey stick, but over a 10 year time frame. So how do you go about winning the hearts and minds of uh, investors or those wanting to come along for the long haul to give you that runway to be able to build up the, that unique technology to, to solve those big problems? So we've had uh, very good success in attracting investors. So we have uh, Google Ventures has invested in our company, Takeda, AstraZeneca, and uh, many other financial investors. So now we are at a stage where uh, some of the large financial investors are evaluating. We have a very strong patent portfolio um, and, a, and a real clear vision of where we are taking the company. So, you know, partners will also, as, as we partner with large pharma, revenue out of that as well. Fascinating. Look, Mira, I'm going to put some information about the Rani Pill and generally yourself and, and your career in the show notes for this episode. And I, I appreciate the time that you've made to have this chat. And I'm looking forward to the developments that come out of the Rani Pill and any other eventually take over the, the coming months and years. So thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for having me. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Make sure you go check out our website for all our resources, including this podcast and the largest directory of technology solutions available to Australian healthcare practitioners today. Until next time, I'm out of here.